Welcome to the In the Light Ministries of Philadelphia Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Centeno. For more information about this podcast, resources, and other ways to get connected, please visit InTheLight.Church. When it comes to seeing things that are like rare or different, oftentimes what we do, it's in our nature to freak out. But there are things and there are people that don't freak out. There are these freaks of nature. And these freaks of nature in the world, if you will, people, they don't freak out at the things that freak us out because they have freaking faith. Come on. We're going to talk about faith today. And we're going to talk about how faith is so rare. Hebrews 11 talks about how there are these freaks of nature that have been in the world that have lived these lives of faith that are just abnormal and these outliers in comparison to everybody else that lived during the same times. It talks about in Hebrews 11, it goes through Abraham and Noah, and it goes through all the patriarchs of our faith, and he says, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Noah built the ark. These guys were doing things that were, they probably didn't understand what they were doing, but in faith, they did it, and they stood out, and now the apostle is recognizing them and giving a tribute to them. And it says, and what more shall I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Japheth, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. I mean, it was already in Hebrews 11. It was going long. It says, who through faith they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. And they quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. Became mighty in war. Put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. So he goes through and he, he explains the things they quenched, the things they stopped, the things they experienced, the things that they saw. These guys were freaks of nature. Because many of us would freak out if we saw a sword against us, if we saw lions coming at us. We just get mad when people lie about us. Like, you lying. But these guys were surrounded by liars or lions, whatever. They were just, they were things that they would experience that many of us, if we would tell the truth, we can hardly stand a pay cut. Or when they cut our welfare. Cut off our gas. Cut off our electric. And these guys were cut in two. These are freaks of nature. And watch this. Uh, it's going to go back a little bit. In Hebrews eleven thirteen. 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Can you imagine? They lived in such a way that it was like, I don't feel like I relate to everybody. I don't feel like I identify with everybody. I don't connect with everybody because, again, this faith 
that they had caused them to be estranged about, around people that would look at them, but they really were living from a different world. Faith is a two-sided coin. On one side of the coin, we have a belief in God. On the other side of the coin, we have a trust in him as a father. It talks about this in Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. One. They must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. To have faith, the first thing it starts with is, do you even believe that he exists? It's an intellectual belief that he is Lord. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. Like, I believe that. I believe he's those things. But how you know if you believe that or not is when the existence of problems come into our life, do you still know that he exists when they exist? Because if you believe he exists, sure, those problems come. He's been here longer than the problems. He's created all this. I acknowledge that he exists. I acknowledge that he is Lord. He is Lord. Do you understand that? To acknowledge he exists is to acknowledge that he is Lord. That's the one side of the coin. It doesn't stop there. Because he's not just Lord. He is a faithful, good father. It says those who live by faith, a faith that pleases him, talks about in Hebrews eleven six. 6. It's a, a faith that pleases him, acknowledges, yes, that he is Lord, but that he is a good father. One of those two things are usually missing when a person doesn't have faith. They acknowledge the existence of a problem more than his existence to rule over them. Maybe you're seeing him as he has the power over all things. He is Lord. But I don't know if he's good. And I don't know if he sees me. But a faith that pleases him is one that says, I don't know what's happening, but I know you. Watch this. I don't understand what's happening, but I trust you. Faith is this intellectual belief and this relational trust that work in tandem to make it work and for us to push through and for us to see what God wants us to see. Relational trust and intellectual belief go hand in hand to make faith existent in our life. But my existence only makes sense because of faith. If you look at my life, and, and probably many of you, outside of faith, there's a lot of things that have happened that don't make sense that they've happened. This is the world I live in. That's why sometimes I do feel estranged. And so will you if you live by faith because you're this freak of nature. Most people are freaking out. But those who have freaking faith know how to not freak out every time freaky things show up. You just like me saying the word freak. 
and not slipping, right? Like, every, you should clap every time because I need the anointing, so I'm not going to slip. <laughs> it's my existence. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense that my marriage has worked outside of faith. That's the only way this thing works. I don't know about you, and I don't know, maybe you got it all together, but we didn't have a lot of things together. And in my weakness, guess what? He was strong, just like the Word says. It only makes sense through that. The jobs I've gotten, the things I've done, there's things academically, and there's just things that I I wasn't qualified for. I'm not qualified for a lot of things, y'all. And once you find that out, you might not be coming anymore. But I did get my master's, so I, I did go back to school. But when I first started... I did not qualify for so many things. I, I didn't qualify. Um, I didn't qualify for many of the jobs I had. I didn't qualify, underqualified. Um, but by faith, I still filled out the application. By faith, I went to the interview, and I was like, if I can get in the room, God can do anything. If I can just get in the room. I don't care if they're looking for a B.A., I don't care if they're looking for a bachelor's in this and a master's in that. Let me just get in the room. I live by faith. You might have quali- you might have lived with faith in your credentials. I didn't have no credentials, so I had a faith in his credentials and what he can do through a person who is just willing. Come on. And I'm not hating on your credentials. I'm just saying I live by faith. And it's worked out. Faith. Faith opens up doors. Faith opens up opportunities. Faith in being faithful, trusting in what he's able to do. Faith. Faith, it, it blows me away. This church, shouldn't even be in exi- this church wouldn't be in existence. This church should have closed a long time ago if not by faith. It's the thing that's holding it together because there's so many people that wanted to see this place shut down. But the righteous live by faith. And it pushes back against the unrighteous talk and acts and the mindsets of others. It's just faith. That's, that's the world I live in. And, and this is the world that we live in. Faith. What you're going to learn by the end of this time, we are not the miracle worker. And we live, this place is an existence by faith. Fear. Us freaking out. Us getting overwhelmed by the things that we don't understand and we don't know why it's happening. Us just getting into our religious rut where we become these dry, old, stale believers. I wouldn't even call you believers. Like, because a believer insinuates you believe. But we, we, get, we can, our faith for some reason, where does it go? And this is what I want to talk about because it's real. Because sometimes we start the journey of faith, but things happen along the way cause us to doubt and to live with unbelief. If it can happen with the children of Israel who saw a sea split, fire from the sky. So that's why we have to be reminded to go from faith to faith and to examine are we living by faith? Are we freaking out by the things that are around us? He says, God is pleased by faith. We read that in Hebrews But it says Jesus questioned at one point that would he find faith when he comes back to the earth. He was looking at a people and he was teaching them how to approach. This this comes at the tail end of when he talks about that parable about that persistent widow 
and the unjust judge. And he says, this woman was diligent in her prayer. She was, or, or not, sorry, not her prayer. In her, she was persistent in coming to him with her case. She had a case of injustice that was in her life. And I know a lot of us can relate that we have some things that have happened to us that we feel are unjust. And so she came to this unjust judge, not a just judge. And in coming to this unjust judge, the first time, he doesn't give her what she's requesting. But she persistently went back. And Jesus says she persistently went back to this unjust judge. And eventually he got so sick and tired of her. He said, just let her have what she needs to have. And he, he, he settled the case so that she, and, and he says that if this persistent widow who got that from an unjust judge, how much more and a God that exists and he's a just judge that you coming to him in persistence Will it come to you in your life? And then he goes on to say this. He goes on to say that when the Son of Man, when he comes on the earth, will he find faith? Or will he find a bunch of people who are freaking out? Because they don't understand. And they don't know why. And it looks a certain way. So you see, you know those who are freaking out because the language they use. Remember, language locates you. And you know who are the ones who are freaking out because they say things like, well, I remember when it used to be like this. It got quiet in here. Man, my life, man, what it used to be like, you don't understand. And they begin to bring back these fantasies of a time. And they, they fantasize and they romanticize about a time that they were enslaved but believed they had all that they wanted. Isn't that the children of Israel? Remember back in Egypt? It was dope. We could do whatever we want. We could drink whatever we want. We can be with whatever chick or dude we want. Remember that? It was so good. We were so free. Really? You were free? We start to celebrate the dysfunction of the past. That's what a fear will, do with, fear will do to you. Fear, unbelief, doubt, maybe a delayed promise. You know what it will do to you? It will make you look back and romanticize about the dysfunction in your life and make, it believe, make you believe it was actually better than where you are presently. It, it, the fear will have you make friend, a foe, and an enemy because you're so afraid. Now Moses is their enemy, right? Now their leader that they were high-fiving, look at what you did with us. Look at where we are now. Saying, who's this cat? Who's this dude? He's not qualified for, to do anything for God. Yes. Fear will have you believe a lie. Yes, it will. We freak out. We use language like that. Remember when it's like, you know what, you know what it does? You, uh, those who are freaking out. They begin to blame everything else. Listen to their language. It's because of her. It's because of him. It's because of that happened to me. It's because of this situation. You know what blame is? Blame is disguised shame. You're really ashamed. 
And that's, that's real. And I don't want to, like, make that feel like, make you feel ashamed about having shame. Because that's the last thing you need. But really, what it is, is you're ashamed because it hasn't turned out the way you would want it to turn out. It doesn't look like the way that you heard or you promised. So shame basically blames. They blame church. You'll hear that a lot. Well, church, church. What do you mean? But it's shame. And it's fear. And it causes you to make yourself the victim. But those who are freaks of nature don't freak out. Even when things that happen to them that make them feel ashamed that it, it, it even happened or it looks the way it looks. They do something different. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Do you have an intellectual belief that he is Lord? And do you trust him? That he's a good, good father. When you freak out, it's a sign that people are heart sick. You're heart sick. That's what it is. Why? Because hope is deferred. The thing you're hoping in hasn't happened yet. So you're heart sick. You're heart sick. You're promise hungry. <laughs> Man, what's the promise? I'm so hungry for this thing. And it hasn't happened. You're disappointed from waiting. And you're offended with God. That hasn't happened yet. Those are real things. I, if you've been walking with the Lord for any substantial amount of time, it's happened to us all. Or it will happen to you. At some point, you will come to a crossroads where you're going to begin to question and you're going to have to deal with the question in the midst of anxiety and fear, in the midst of the promise hasn't happened or the thing, hasn't, the thing that he said hasn't come to pass. You're going to come to that place and you're going to have to determine whether you're going to be a person of faith, believing that he is God you are, although that isn't. You still are. You're still able. Sometimes you have to talk to your soul. Because you got these inner voices and these things going on in your head. Sometimes you have to get out loud with it, by the way. I mean, don't be like in, like be in your room or something like that. Or be in your car when nobody else is looking. Well, people will be looking at your car. I mean, they'll be like, what are they listening to? That they're like shouting at the air and just like declaring things. But it's a... You have to, like, self-talk, if you will. Talk to yourself about the word of God, about who he is, and saying, God, I'm choosing to trust you. I'm choosing to trust you, that you are a rewarder, that you are good. Even though I haven't seen the reward, I'm still living by faith. I'm not going to freak out, but I'm going to step into some freaking faith or freaky faith. That'll freak other people out that I'm still here and I'm still believing and I'm still trusting and I'm still praying and I'm still worshiping despite all that I see around me. Although my kids are freaking out and my spouse is freaking out and my job is freaking out. I'm going to put on some freaking faith in the midst of all this stuff so that I don't freak out while all this stuff is happening around me. The righteous live by what? Faith. faith. And I don't know how long I've been taking, but this is really where I wanted to take us. 
The righteous live by faith. The righteous, say that to me. Just live by faith. Yes, they do. The righteous live by faith. This is just something that God showed me. I hope it helps you by the end of this time here. But it says the righteous live by faith. That's the word. But faith lives at the altar. I'm going to help you. The righteous live by faith, but faith lives at the altar. Woo! What, what's the altar, y'all? The altar is not just the front of the church, by the way. We, we call it the altar, but, but it's for reasons that you hopefully will get. But the, the faith lives at the altar. Faith lives at that place where there is personal and real sacrifice. They live right there where there's this personal sacrifice that they are offering up happens at the altar. And at the same place where this personal sacrifice is offered up at the altar, powerful miracles are released at that same place. It's the place, it's the intersection of this, this sacrifice and this death. At the same time, it's this place where resurrection life is released at the same time. Oh, my God. The righteous live by faith, but faith lives at the altar. It lives in that place between death and life, precious sacrifices are offered up. What does it mean to live at the altar? Let me, let me read this to you. Or, or let me just say that living at the altar, just to get an idea of altar and the ministry that would take place. When, when God instructed the people, his people, to construct altars, it was a place where they would form this place, they would put stones, this place, and fire and everything, and they would bring something very personal to them. Whether it was a lamb, it was a cattle, whatever, bring something very personal to them, and they will offer that up. Them offering that up was saying two things. He is Lord. He is Lord. I'm giving this because I acknowledge He is Lord. I'm giving this up and I'm sacrificing this because he is also a rewarder and he's a good father. They're doing both simultaneously when they're willing to give up something personal and pure and innocent. Innocent lamb, innocent whatever. They would give that up and it would be so personal. And, you know, in some senses it's like it's a loss. They lost something that day. And they bring it to the altar. They lose something precious. And they would do this again and again. The people of Israel do this again and again. They would continue to offer up sacrifices. Why? Because it was a consistent reminder. He is Lord and we could trust him. He's going to bless us. He's going to reward us. And they would continue to bring this and continue to offer this to them. You know, we don't do that nowadays, by the way. We don't bring these physical, if you will, sacrifices, Abraham, it says something interesting about Abraham, though, the father of faith. Before this sacrificial system was put in place where they were offering lambs, 
Abraham was asked to sacrifice something very personal. And it was his son. And he, he takes his son Isaac. He takes him over to an altar. And he's about to sacrifice his most personal, sacred, beloved prize. It was his son. And Abraham was willing to do it. He was willing to give up and personally sacrifice something that meant the world to him. That was his world. Are you hearing me? He puts it there on the altar. He's about to plunge the knife in. God says, stop. And he says, hey, right there, that's it. You had faith. And he says to Abraham, I account your faith as righteousness. Righteousness is the righteous live by faith. Righteousness means being in right standing with God. That I'm in right standing, me and God are good. So they put this sacrificial system together. To, and as they would make those sacrifices, they would once again be in right standing with God. But here's what God does with Abraham. He says, instead of you making a sacrifice, you were about to make the sacrifice. And you did make a sacrifice. Although your sacrifice was not physical, it was personal. You made a personal sacrifice that day when you were willing to, like, kill your son for me, and I take that, the righteousness that usually happens through a physical sacrifice, and I'm saying, I'm accounting that righteousness, I'm accounting your faith as righteousness. Because your faith... And what you were about to do was a personal sacrifice. It was a pain that you experienced in order to be in right standing with me. It's telling me that being in right standing and being righteous is not always just, you know, this religious ritual. Right? Because this is what they would do. They would have this religious ritual of, of bringing things to the altar But it's actually a personal, personal sacrifice that nobody else sees but you. That you're putting something on the altar. That you're putting something to death. That you're surrendering an aspect of who you are. It's something personal. It might be a mindset that you have. It might be a way that you're doing it. It might be that you're a control freak and always have to be in control. But you're having faith that God is in control. And he knows that. And he says, that's faith. That's faith. That's a personal sacrifice. And whenever there's a personal sacrifice, I can bring a miracle. I can bring a miracle in those places where there's personal sacrifice. Living at the altar. This is what it means to live at the altar. It means that you're personally demonstrating something and you're willing to sacrifice something. That's freaky faith. Faith that nobody else will understand while you're taking those stands and doing what you're doing. But it's a freaky faith. Faith lives at the altar. I'm going to throw another twist in there. And as this thing is being sacrificed, it leaves a fragrance. You know what God is pleased by? The fragrance of faith. It's an aroma. Isn't that what happens when when you're, you're cooking something up? It leaves an aroma. Just like we're drawn to barbecue. Men. God is drawn to the personal sacrifices that you're making in your heart, that you're saying, you are Lord, and I trust you as a father. 
some, that sacrifice leaves an aroma. It leaves a fragrance. And when God smells it, he's attracted to in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 to 17, it says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. When we sacrificially surrender is like we spray an aroma in the air. It's like this fragrance that God is attracted to. And when you spray that aroma in the air, you know what it is for those who are really having faith? Faith is, I, I can see it, but not with my eyes. <laughs> and you're probably not going to understand this. I can feel it, but not with my hands. That's what faith is. And when God sees that kind of faith of, oh, man, I could see it, but I, I haven't really, like, like, I haven't seen it, seen it, but I see it. I can feel it, although I can't feel it, feel it. It's, that's the type of faith that he can smell. That's the kind of faith that he can smell. Because many of us know that, right? It's like, oh, I can, I, can, I can feel it. I just can't give it to you for you to hold. I can feel it. I can feel God is going to do this. I feel like he's about to. I can, I can feel it. I can feel it. I heard him say it. I'm believing him at his word. I want to talk about one of these characters. In conclusion, I want to talk about one of these characters real quick for us to really get what this looks like for our lives. And maybe will help us at something in us overcoming maybe the faith level that we're at or maybe just the, the fact that we're struggling in our faith. Well, Elijah, I just want to, I wanted to point to Elijah real quick. Me and my wife were able to go to Israel. And uh, while we were there, we actually got to visit one of the places where Elijah had the standoff. Can you show the picture? This is, this is a picture of Mount Carmel. Um, and it was just me standing with a statue that they had up of Elijah. You can see there, he's got somebody on the ground. He's probably slaying, a, slaying one of those false prophets. But it's cool. We got, we got video and everything. But I was at Mount Carmel. I was like, what? This was where the standoff happened. And, and it was crazy because this is where they would worship Baal and what have you. And, and on this mountain, the rocks there are like wicked looking. I was like, it feels like they're still wicked looking. Like, man, these things are like crazy looking volcanic type rocks that are here on this, um, this mountain. Anyway, so we got to be there. So, so cool. To, the Bible just came to life when we're in those places where Elijah stood. Dang. We were where Elijah stood. And, and so it, it, Elijah, one of the first prophets, was definitely a freak of nature. He was a freak of nature. He was like this guy that he was a wilderness wanderer. He was out there. The king Ahab called him, the king of that time called him a troublemaker. He was, he was, he was stopping up the weather. So there was no rain for like seven years, just famine in the land. I feel, I feel like the famine or the drought was basically a contrast of where their faith was. No faith, no water. 
no spirit. And so, so they, he, here he is, and most of the people were freaking out. Most of the people of God were part, like got caught up in this pagan culture that had been instituted by King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. So it was all this mixture. It was all this stuff. It wasn't true faith. And, and hear this. The woman Jezebel, his wife, was actually persecuting and killing people who had the audacity to have faith. So even, like, if you want to have faith, you can have faith, but you're going to be dead the next day. She would go after those, basically, who had faith in God being the true God, that he is who he is, and that he is trustworthy, and he's a rewarder. She was eliminating them. So Elijah's, like, feeling like he's one of the last Mohicans. He's up there, and he's like, you know what, let's do this, let's do it this way. Like, let's have the prophets of Baal. We're going to set up an altar. We're going to set up an altar. And at this altar, you guys will set up one. I'll set up one. You guys will go first. And at this altar, we'll have you put your sacrifice on it. But the God who answers by fire, don't light nothing up. The God who answers by fire is the real God. And they do this in the public. They do this for everybody to see. So everybody's coming out now. And Elijah makes the announcement. And he says, like, let me, let me read it to you. I will want to read you some of the stuff. All right. Uh, 1 Kings 18, 30, 31. It says, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built the altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would certain which would contain two stays of seed. And he put wood in, in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And he did a second time. He said, do it a third time. He did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with the water. Now that's good, but that's not what I wanted to read. Sorry. <laughs> what I wanted to read or what I wanted to mention was while he was up there, he basically makes the announcement to the people that we're going to basically have a standoff today. And uh, the prophets of Baal will do their thing. They'll go first. Ladies first. I'm just kidding. And he's like, <laughs> the prophets, f false prophets first, whatever. And he's like, they'll do their thing. And then he said, now, uh, and then afterwards, the God who answers by fire. So they go through this whole gymnastics. They're cutting themselves. They're doing all this stuff. And of course, what happens there's no answer. There's no fire on the altar. Now, this is what Elijah does. He sets up the altar. He douses it with water to really make it tricky, to really show you this is not a man-made um, thing that God is about to do. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, uh, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you, and you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Man, it doesn't even let you like, he just praised the prayer. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. 
The Lord, He is God. He exists, He exists. So they acknowledge His existence as soon as that fire fell. And Elijah said to, the, uh, to Ahab, I'm jumping a little bit. And it says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of the Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go now, look toward the sea. And when he looked up, and when he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, go again. And seven times his servant went up and saw nothing. I'll stop there. Here you see Elijah, the man of God, gets up and in public brings down fire. Before all that, has this freaking faith to get up there and saying that God who answers by fire, God, show yourself. Boom! The fire comes. There's this huge outcry. He is Lord. He is Lord. They, they slaughter the, the, it's this huge momentum and they, they get rid of all the liars and all the things uh, around them. So this is huge celebration, right? And then Elijah says, I hear the sound of rain. God has said something to me. He said something to me. Ahab, get ready for it. God said something to me. And he goes and he prays. And he looks up. Or every time he looks up from this place of prayer, nothing. I need you to hear me. Nothing happened. One minute, boom, fire. How's that for freaking faith? Boom. Next, minute, next minute, you're praying for something you heard God say, and you told others that He said it. And there's nothing. Didn't happen the first time. Okay, okay, okay. Maybe I'm a little rusty. Let me get back down and pray. You look up. Dang. They're still not saved. They still haven't come back home. It's still not working out. Dang. I'm still not healed. He's like, okay, 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 okay. One more time. Because it's, 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 like, it's like baseball. Three strikes and I'm out. So I'm going to give it one more go. Goes down. Comes back up. Nothing. Prayer still not answered. But God, I have faith. But God, I'm here praying. God, you just did that over here. Do it again, God. I heard you say this. I heard you promise this. I heard this was going to come. This is going to be good, God. He keeps going again and again and again. I mean, it might speed through the story a little bit where we see like after seven times, right? Then, then it says, it's just a cloud the size of a man's hand. And that's it. Elijah's like, it's on. It's just like, I knew it. He, he is good and he is Lord and I trusted him and I've kept going. Here, here's just what, what this means for us in our faith. 
Because some of us, or a lot of times, what our faith amounts to is God getting us out of a present dilemma. Is when our back is against the wall, then God shows up. This is what Elijah did, right? His back is against the wall. This is like a standoff moment. It's a present dilemma, and God shows up. And many of us have experienced that. It was a present dilemma, and God showed up, and we think that's going to happen for the rest of the time, is that, okay, God, like, like if, if, if I just stay alive, I'm going to serve you. And we're in this present dilemma, and so our faith is basically our back is against the wall. And God gets us out of it. We're like, he is Lord, he is Lord, he is Lord. Look what God did. I promise you I'll go to church now. And then you show up to church. And then you start praying for other things and believing for other things. And you hear God say something to you. And he promises something to you. And and you get this hope. Yeah. God, I I heard you. And that was for me. And I'm announcing, he's, he's coming back. It's going to happen. I'm going to be healed. This is going to work out. And you go and you pray and you believe and you get back up and you're like, it's nothing there. It's a cloudless sky. I believe there's a faith that can help you with your present dilemma. But there's a faith that we need for the future of our success that we know it will bring us a peace of mind once it's answered. So it's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's like I'm looking, and there's something in the future. Because when that rain comes, it sets up your generation. When that rain comes, it, it begins to bring success and prosperity. When that rain comes, it's one thing with the fire. It's another thing with the rain. Mm, I just said something there. Some of us have faith to get us out of the fire, but what about to bring the rain? And to bring the rain and to bring success and to bring that peace of mind that you've been looking for, it might not happen the first time you pray. But does, is, he, is he Lord still? Is he still a good father? Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Subscribe to our podcast and social media outlets to be kept up to date with everything going on at In the Light Ministries of Philadelphia.